0: Hong Kong Confidential is a podcast designed to educate and entertain my audience. It's an interview-style show where many topical social issues are discussed and personal stories are shared. The podcast can be inspiring, confronting, harrowing and, at times, hilarious. We all need to be heard to heal and listening to the experiences of others can often help the rest of us deal with what life has to throw at us. Hong Kong Confidential, available on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube and Google Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of Getting Better Acquainted Replayed. In this strand of the show, I showcase episodes from the first hundred or so episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, which went out in 2011 and 2012. There's a few reasons why I'm reposting these episodes. One of the reasons is that SoundCloud has removed the early episodes from my RSS feed, so you can't get all the way back to Getting Better Acquainted number one on the feed anymore. For a while, that frustrated me. I was kind of upset about it Nowadays, I feel a little bit more ambivalent about that. On a personal level, the loss of those episodes from easy access on the internet, I mean, they are still there. They're all streamable and downloadable through SoundCloud, but they're not on the iTunes feed. I don't really mind those disappearing as such, because when I listen back to myself for the first, whoa, I mean, at least 100, but probably more episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, the person that I hear is is somebody that I rarely agree with who is an incredibly different person to the person that I am now. I've got a different job. I've got a different sense of identity. I think different things about myself. I think very different things about the world. This particular Getting Better Acquainted replayed has its own reason for existing though that has nothing to do with what I've just said. So the person that you're going to hear in today's episode passed away on Saturday. They had cancer and as happens to people with cancer quite often, they died. I think they're the first guest who's been on Getting Better Acquainted who's died since the series started. I did put out an episode with a woman called Sheila who had actually died before that episode went out. But apart from that, this is the first person who passed away. And I knew Eric. I, I knew Eric and loved Eric, as you're hear in the conversation. And so it's very sad for me. It's even more sad for my dad because my dad was friends with Eric for a very long time which again you'll hear about in today's episode hopefully this episode will give people who knew Eric a chance to remember him and think about him and have him in their hearts minds and thoughts and for people who didn't know Eric this is a chance to get better acquainted with who he was
1: In terms of me in this episode, unusually
0: for old episodes, I mostly don't hate the version of myself that you're going to hear. That is the version of myself that was back in 2011, so that's a bit of context. It was recorded six years ago, very different political climate, but also it was before Eric had cancer, it was when he was a slightly younger person. And when you hear my dad, towards the end of the episode, it was a slightly younger version of my dad. A version of my dad who was less afflicted at that point by the dementia that has been gradually taking away his memory and his ability to process things in the years since then. And I think that's probably enough of an introduction to this episode. I hope that you enjoy it. Don't worry about me looking at my Blackberry, that's just where all my notes are. You don't
1: mind if I make a call during the proceeding then?
0: I actually don't, I think that would be that would be quite entertaining.
1: <laughs> so I switch off my phone?
0: Uh, no, no, you don't have to, you don't have to. I, I never actually tell people to, to do so because I kind of want these to be kind of, a, it has to feel real, so if, things get, if people get interrupted, they get interrupted, that's kind of part of life. Hello, I'm Dave, I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better, please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Okay, so before I get carried away with myself there, today we're getting better acquainted with Eric. Hello, Eric. Hello, David. David, wow, that's great. Um, what did you expect, Dave? Well, Dave is what I go by, but, but I, I, I like David. It reminds me of being a child, and is what people call me at work, which is a strange thing.
1: It's half of my name anyway. <laughs> half your
0: surname. That's a giveaway. Yeah, that is a giveaway. How do you know me?
1: I know you because of your father. This is a great problem. Uh, your father and I worked together many, many years ago at a place called Data in Soho Square. Data was a film production company, a documentary film production company, I think created originally by Paul Rother. And um, when I arrived, Peter, your father, had arrived there just after the war, and I arrived some years later than that, in the mid-50s, late 50s, I was sent there by a gentleman called Stuart Lake, who was one of the original cinema documentarists from the 1930s, one of John Grierson's mob. It was interesting because, in fact, I, I went off on location very quickly, and I met a few people on that particular in that, in that company. Until one day, I went into a pub in Soho, which is where, of course, the company was. This is towards lunchtime. It was with one member of the cast, if I can call them the cast, and he said, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. And this friend of his was propped up at the end of the bar on a stool. And he said, this is Peter Pickering. And that must have been about (coughs) 1956, 7, somewhere around that mark. And um, that was the first introduction I had to him. We had a rapport. God knows what it was. Perhaps it was just that I bought him a drink and he didn't buy me one. <laughs> but um, immediately it was set up. And uh, and it just went on from there. And uh, it went through thick and thin. And uh, when I say thick and thin, I just meant uh, he did other things and I did other things. <laughs> His were thick and mine were thin. And um, there was a particular time when I went to Denmark and I stayed there for about a year and we corresponded sort of kind of once or twice a week and I think I still have all his letters so it was a relationship which uh, was established in the documentary film industry and in a sense never quite left it and it went through many manifestations as his life did as well and uh, then once upon a time he Later, in his second marriage, I think it was, he had a couple of children, one of whom was you. Yes. Will that answer your question?
0: It did. Um, And it was a a very nice answer. I enjoyed it. Um, I should say we're out in my back garden, which is why people can probably hear the dog next door. It's a kind of late evening time. Evening is coming. The sun is out. What do you do now?
1: Well, I mean, I'm... Uh, I worked all my life in films and documentary films, well, drama as well, particularly in the BBC, and uh, withdrew or retired, or whatever you say, about a a few years ago, and I took up copywriting, and I've been doing that for the last five or ten years, and apart from that, uh, trying to pull together a lot of the bits and pieces I've been writing over the years in between the filmmaking and other experiences such as getting married and having children and watching them growing up and trying to grow up myself.
0: That's interesting, because I mean, I, I guess Dad's in a very similar place to you now in that he's sort of looking through all of his old writing and that he's done in between having children and working. How are you finding the, the process of going through all of these old, old things?
1: Well, um, I suppose generally speaking, confusing. But I, one would say that, I wouldn't one. But if I can just paint the picture for a moment, it might explain it better. Because every time I went on location, which was many, many times, I would come back after the location was ended with an idea. And it might be for a short story, it might be for a play, it might be for a book. And I would hasten to the typewriter and bash away. And I would only get so far before I went off on the next location. So... <laughs> These bits and pieces multiplied over the years until in fact there's an attic full of, to put it mildly, bits and pieces. Um, Some of them are quite well developed. There are an awful lot of them. And I thought, well, one day, you know, when I retire and I inherit all the money I'm not inheriting, I'll sit back and I'll put them all together again. Well, it didn't quite happen like that, but in a sense it is happening because a few weeks ago I thought, come on, get your arse into gear and get moving. So I went to the attic and sifted through all 10, 20, 30, 40 different projects and thought, wow. So I chose one and started to. Not so much bring it up to date. It was collated or collected because many of these articles or pieces of writing, I committed to typewriter and then scanned them into a computer twenty-five years ago when you had five and a half inch or five and a quarter inch t- floppy disks. So in fact, the all of this stuff that's in that attic is now in many many different formats. So I didn't realise that the biggest task would be. To start collating them, pulling them together, before I could actually do some work on them. The second thing was, well, why would I want to do work on them anyway? They've been and they're gone. And you could move on to something else. But there was just this niggling f- feeling that, well, maybe something is worthwhile. And if, at least if you could finish something, or all of them, but I've got enough years to finish all of them. You never know. You never know. But um, at least if I did that, There would be... Oh, God, I hate to use words like legacy. Uh, But something just of yourself that you've physically left behind. Although, in fact, I will have left behind many films as well. It's not as if there won't be material (laughs) there. If anyone anyone is daft enough to want to research it in 50 years' time or a 1,000 years' time, which I doubt. But at the moment... It's in its infancy insofar as I have not brought any one piece together yet or yeah. any one project together yet. But it's there to be brought together and it may be brought together and if I do bring them together obviously they're not for publishing because no, no, no publisher would bother to publish them. But I quite like to you do something... know that either. Yeah, but I quite like to do something that your dad taught me um, indirectly anyway. I'd like to get them printed...
0: Self-publishing.
1: Yeah, I don't actually mean publishing. I just, just mean printing. Yourself. I just mean printing. Because you can print on Lulu. Yes. But you can also publish on Lulu.
0: This is uh, an internet site. An internet Lulu, site. Lulu. Right. <laughs> exactly.
1: It's, it's kind of self-publishing. But you see, what I'm trying to do is excuse myself by saying, it's not, I don't want to publish them. I want to get them printed, and you can do that. And they
0: look like a proper book.
1: Exactly. Now, it may be that if they look there's a shelf full of things that look like proper books, somebody sometime in the future might read some of them. But if they are in the condition that they are at the moment, which is dog-eared, coffee-stained bits and pieces of paper from 20, 30, 40 years ago, nobody's going to give a damn about them. They're all going to go in the bin.
0: When you've printed those books, I would certainly like to read one of them, at least one of them. Maybe more if I like the first one.
1: It depends how long you've got.
0: Well, it does depend how long I've got. You do indeed never know. Actually, I'm going to just check that it's recording, and I'm going to move it slightly away. I think so. Am yes. I sitting too close to it? I think you, yeah, a little bit too close. So well, you uh,
1: see, it perhaps the better that a better time. Because I have to be directly to it. You, well, it's
0: not—it's not that directional, but uh, oh, isn't it? No, like, you know, it has quite a wide, wide range. It looks a bit ridiculous today because it's got its windshield on and it's uh, looking like a big paintbrush.
1: It's not. It's like a cat. I'm going to stroke it any That's
0: That's true. Well, I think it's a—it's it's a little bit more intimidating than I like my microphone to be for people to uh, to be talking to. It, it looks kind of like a muppet or something. Yeah. What do you think about the the internet? That's one of the things that the internet is brought to the world is the possibility for people to self-publish in that way
1: well i do want to qualify that david because you keep using the term self-publish true and i keep refusing to use it
0: and i i I completely respect your your decision to do that because you're not publishing it you're just buying a a copy of a book for yourself i understand that but but that site only exists you can only do that you can call it what you like. Absolutely. But you can only do it because of the internet.
1: Yes, because I could go to a hundred of these uh, private publishers, so to speak, and ask them to print up the book, mm. and they'd charge me a fortune. They would. Or a few hundred quid that's at what least. They, that's
0: what people used to do, and yeah. it cost them a lot of and money. And there are
1: still many of these firms around. Absolutely. But I think it's because the people who actually send their manuscripts to them sneakingly hope that, nevertheless, they'll be able to push them on yes. to publishing. Yeah. I don't have any sneaking hopes. No, no, no. I I don't need to. I mean, I'm not being pompous about it. It's just not necessary.
0: When you were born, there was no internet. When you were 40, there was no internet, probably. And now it has happened. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
1: As far as I'm concerned, I mean, this is a purely personal feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not trying to make a judgment about internet. I mean, I think the whole thing is such an overwhelming phenomenon. Yeah. I wouldn't even be able to describe it to somebody from another planet. But presumably if somebody came from another planet, he'd know about the internet anyway.
0: When I was born, there was no internet. I find it amazing. Yeah, I mean, people who are born now, they don't find it amazing, but I find
2: it amazing.
1: Oh, I think it's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah, And it's kind of uplifting in a way to think that, you know, from Bell's telephone, it eventually became the internet. Mm. It's a long long haul and a short stretch. And I, I can't, still can't get my... Not being a scientist, I can't get my head around the fact that it is there and it does what it does. And I can access everything and anything that I wish from it. And it's a constant source of joy and amazement to me. But at the same time, I use it rather sparingly because I don't belong to things like Facebook or Mm. I don't blog or flog or clog or whatever you do. (laughs) I just uh, use it very practically In the same way that uh, when I first learned about the computer typewriter, what do we call it? The um, Uh, Word processor. The word processor, thank you. I remember I resisted this for some time because, of course, it had this sticking block, I should think, I thought, well, wait a minute, if I can alter anything at any moment, then the fluency's gone. Mm. So that was one of the hang-ups that we all have at the beginning, or certainly I did.
0: I think there's some (coughs) truth to that. I think you write differently on a computer than you do by hand. Oh yes. Um, oh I yeah. never. I've never used a typewriter. Yeah. But I write, I've written by hand, and I've written on a computer, yeah. and they're completely different things. Oh, absolutely. And now so much of my typing involves copy and paste and stuff like this. Yeah. That, that was never part of when I originally learned to write, yeah. on, even on a computer. Mm. Like that, and, and these things change the work. It, it, they change what people create. How do I, you? I, I mean, do you think that's true?
1: Oh, yeah, because, uh, well, let's, let's look at it this way. I, I spent my life on a typewriter. Mm. Um, and when I say a typewriter, I mean a machine that you have to physically hammer yes. in order to get your words on it, right? Mm. And my children will tell you that their childhood, one of the sounds of their childhood, apart from Tony Hancock's, was hearing this thundering upstairs in the attic. And every time I came home from wherever I'd been, you know, they heard the same thunder. They had the, 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 there's this idea of these children, away down below in the basement, wherever they were, <laughs> hearing this thump, 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 thump. Not quite knowing what it was, but that was the sound of Dad. Yes. Right? Okay. There's another aspect to it, that when I eventually went onto the computer, or whatever we call it now, the word processor, and the computer, something didn't work for me. I thought initially it was the fact that it was allowing me to edit too easily and quickly. Until I discovered it wasn't. What was missing, and it's still missing today, is the physical contact. Now, hold on a minute. When I write, when I think, I write usually on paper, a pencil, pen. When I think on the typewriter, as I used to do, and then come back into, or come forward into the computer, then I am actually operating on a machine that is not sensitive to my body. So that when I typed on a typewriter, I had to force the words down through the head, through the shoulders, it's through a physical the arms, activity, yeah. onto that. And I had physical contact with the machine and the words. It yes. Is, yeah. Yeah. I haven't got that now. But of course, after all these years, one accepts that one hasn't got it. But I think, because one hasn't got it, I've lost something. And I it's mean, the same way that I think... The worst thing, I, I sit for hours at a computer, or a uh, WordPress I write, yeah. and I think that is detrimental to one's writing. I think one should be standing up.
0: Okay. Dad stands up Yeah. His computer.
1: And I think you should be moving around. Mm. In between sentences, I think you should move.
0: I know what you mean. Right. It's kind of why I mean when I when I managed to give up smoking, which I'm not given up at the moment. I would noticed. I'm just lighting one now. One of the things that I miss when I give up smoking, about writing, mm. is that smoking, especially when I used to smoke inside, mm. meant that 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 you write and then you stop and you take a cigarette, and that means you assess what you've written, right. and there is a an editorial process there and in the internet age that editorial process is going when I use Twitter there's no editorial process (laughs) publish you know that's how quick it is now there's a great democratic thing about this and there's some great art that can be created through this but it's dangerous to artists because it's potentially going to make us not as because we're not going to be contemplating things in that kind of way, I guess.
1: Well, I'm not pretending to be the artist, but no, it certainly th- is detrimental to me.
0: In using the internet, we are, like you say, changing the way that we make stuff. Yes. Now, you do make stuff. You might not call yourself an artist. Yeah. But And you've made stuff. Yeah. Um, and you've assessed art. Yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you, you would say you've got a critical artistic eye, Yeah. You know, what would you, he shrugged then in a kind of suggestive that he would agree with me, but it was a it was a body language thing. What do you think about what the internet is doing? We're talking now on a podcast, which people are downloading mm. via the internet, or they're streaming it mm. on the internet. Mm. Do you think that's a flash in the pan? Do you think that really books have more value than digital podcasty type things?
1: I'm not really in a position to say they've got more value. I'm really concerned about and I have been since the uh, initiation of the word processor, it's the lack of touch. It's a sense that has been eroded. I can feel, I can smell, I can see, I can hear, but I can't any longer touch my writing. It's a physical inadequacy, I feel about it, and I have felt that. It's not dissimilar to... I spent my life in films. When you're in a cutting room, you're in a unit which is absolutely tactile. Everything you do, you pick yeah. up film, you run it through your fingers, you touch it, you feel it, you smell it. It's very sexy, right? right. And when you're working at a pick sink or working at a steam bag, you're actually moving around the room from one to another. You're actually physically in contact with the film. You're creating a story out of these bits and pieces of celluloid, but while you're creating it, you're in touch, literally, T-O-U-C-H, with... The, the, the means by which this story is being projected. Now, if I'm in an editing suite, yeah. all I have is images on a wall. They don't smoke, or on a box. They don't look, they don't smell. I can't touch them. I'm remote from them, and I feel I have lost touch well, with
0: them. Well, I'd say that's completely <clears> right, <throat> and there is something we probably have lost. There are probably things we've gained as well. And I mean, certainly people can do things now that they never could have dreamed of. I could never have made this podcast. You know, the the means of production. The the BBC were the gatekeepers to what I wanted to do. And then I realised a couple of years ago hang on, they're not actually the gatekeepers. We have access to opening these gates ourselves and we can just walk through them finding an audience now that's hard the BBC can do that much better than I can market its stuff much better than I can and it's really hard you know to get these podcasts for example out to people but I would say that the human mind is a strange thing working as I do now mostly digitally like you say with things that I can't touch so when I edit these podcasts I'm working with sound files that I'm moving around it does feel physical, because I'm you're, I'm tricking my mind. It's really like how a computer game makes someone feel that they're having that physical experience. This is the same same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That I do feel like I'm lifting physically mm-hmm. the sound files up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think that if you started with that connection to things physically, it's very hard to make that transition to completely conceptualizing. The activity that you're doing, you know, it's 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 an imaginary space. It's like when you're reading a book, you're creating an imaginary world. Well, that's ha- the kind of editing that we do now with digital stuff. Mm. I think.
1: Well, I accept what you're saying, and I accept the, the process by which you it it, it, it it operates. I still say that I miss. No,
0: I mean, and I totally I, I, I respect what you're saying, mm. and I I think that that is very true. Mm. And when I think about music, music still something that's quite physical. Then, but then when you come to edit it It can feel a little bit dissatisfied mm-hmm. Because you're, you're just doing it on a computer screen mm-hmm. You're not doing it Like when when people mix in studios Wow They've got all of these physical bits There's a guy called Darren Heyman Who's a music, musician that I like who says that he still uses old kit you yeah. know? he refuses to do very much on a computer but mm. when he needs to he will mm. if he can achieve something more mm. on a computer he will do it that's the temptation I mean I imagine if you were making films now would you use CGI? It- doubt it don't know Even if you could do something amazing, I mean, you 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 mostly did.
1: I would see. I would use it if you know for a particular scene. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be. I would certainly not, in any sense, uh, reject these things. Yes, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't start. That wouldn't be where my starting point was.
0: No, absolutely. But that's how I think it should be. I think that there is a problem. Too many artists now their starting point is the technology rather than the starters, oh, no. starting starting po- point being the art mm. and then you find the best way of doing it mm. like, i have to work digitally because i want to make podcasts mm. but i didn't go i really want to make digit i really want to work digitally how can i do it oh podcasts will fit it no i went i want to make something real like connect like like these conversations like capture something real but then the best way to distribute that to people is digitally and through mm-hmm. and, and the internet so it's a, it's a weird sort of world that we're living in now but um, you know
1: when you're making music you're still in touch with your instrument
0: yes no absolutely most of the time even synthesizers because there definitely is this feeling now with a lot of people that they want to still use analog or they want mm. to still use physical mm. stuff that mm. you touch mm. because it just if it dust gets in it it, cha- it changes its sound. Mm. You, you can't get the same sound from a synthetic piano than mm. you than you can from a real grand piano. Mm. You just can't. You know, it's, it's 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 ludicrous to try. Where I'm interested in electronics is when you try and make sounds that you can't make anything yes. else apart from yeah. on a computer. That's what mm. that's what it's for. Mm. That's where the interesting sounds are. Anyway, I slightly digress. I was wanting to talk to you about the BBC oh because didn't you work for the BBC (laughs) a while back (laughs) for many years and what did you do when you worked at the BBC
1: I was a producer and a director
0: of it was both Document- Non-fiction and yeah. fiction, wasn't yeah, yeah. it? You, Docu- you
1: did- Documentary and fiction, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. And was it film pieces then?
1: What- well, I did both because, in fact, I started off on film. You started off on film, which was, of course, 16mm film. It was distinct from 35mm, which is what I was shooting with when your dad was around at Data. at the time the television world, uh, BBC came into being in the 60s, really.
0: You don't really need to worry about it too much, Eric. There's a directional. What's, what's nice is the only other person who's been as aware of the microphone, I think, in, in fact, you're probably the most aware because you're aware of the kinds of things I'm going to hear in my headphones as well. So you're sort of aware that there's an aeroplane coming across uh, and that it's going to sound, sound up. Most, most of my guests aren't really aware of that because they, they haven't worked with sound equipment before, but you have. The only other person who was aware of the mic, I thought, was an actress. Mm-hmm. Who, of course because mm. that's what she does she speaks into a, a mi- microphone yeah, yeah. but most people forget about the microphone oh well
1: you know not not, not, not ex-film people <laughs> yeah I know
0: exactly and also she's got this stupid headshot I yeah, know that's alright i used to that so uh, anyway
1: yeah. so you made films so we made films 60mm uh, well, films 35mm was far too expensive for the television so we developed 60mm film well 60mm film had been developed before But eventually, the BBC took 16 mil as their sort of uh, standard... What's the word? Standard film is another word I'm looking for. Standard means method of of recording. Uh, Quite apart from the studios, of course. And most of my stuff was done on film. But I did what they called, at one time, a conversion course. And that meant they converted me from being a film director... Um, with a 35 or 16mm camera, single camera, to a studio director, which is uh, internal in, in studios when you're using four, four or five cameras.
0: Did you enjoy that change or did that...?
1: I enjoyed it very much. It was a totally different experience. Because in, in film, you see, you, if you're doing drama in film, every single shot you're in charge of. And, uh, you know, every time you complete a shot, you change the angle, you, you start another shot, whereas in the studio situation you've got four or five cameras to access, all of which are offering you shots, and you just choose what they're offering mm-hmm. as it comes along, you see. One thing that I, put, this is going back now to the internet, or the earlier discussion about word processing, when I first started doing gallery work, which is being in the gallery and, and directing the cameras from upstairs, I found it very very difficult to be divorced from the actors. Okay. And I got into hot water, or was it cold water, quite a few times by going down to the floor and directing the cameras and the actors on the floor when I should have been in the gallery watching the effect of what was was happening. Okay. But that came from my experience of just always being close to the camera yeah. and the cameraman. And you wanted to be with him. The beauty of filming is that you have this extraordinary relationship forget the actors for a moment you have got this intimate relationship with your cameraman and it's so intimate that you're actually you know physically very close to each other when the take is happening when you're and it's to lose that contact with that mm. person and to see him only as a unit with a number in number five camera number four camera you know he doesn't breathe doesn't smell he's just away it's not dissimilar to the detachment that um, you get with the pr- word processor yeah, and yeah. the film that makes sense yeah, See, yeah, yeah. it's the sa- same sort of uh, lack of uh, touchy-feely and this I
0: guess this is an- <coughs> another thing that came about through technological development oh, absolutely right. yeah so um, anyway I what do you think is better um, as a creator though multi-cameras or single camera I mean because I c- I mean, if you're, I can see the benefit. Like, you, if you've got lots of cameras, you're going to shoot more than you need, aren't you? And then you're going to have to. Uh, well, it
1: doesn't matter. The stock is cheap enough. Okay, but I mean, what, what, what? It's not the stock. It's the it's the it's the setup. It's the whole crew, the setup, the hire the studios and thing.
0: Yeah, but which is the which is which did you find better as a as a filmmaker? Which did you relate to better? I mean, oh, film. Right. the
1: film camera the single camera because you see you're absolutely physically literally and emotionally in charge of each effing shot Yeah, it's yours Yeah, you know yours and the cameraman's but whereas when you're in the studio you are you're number one but there's four or five other people with their input you see yeah. which you can't really control yeah. you can control the selection of shots of course but there's just that uh, distancing yeah. that's, that's, that's the on. But I think the summation of all that I'm trying to say about internet and also film and and, and studio is simply the divorce from the tactile. It's all about being tactile. Film is tactile. Film smells. Film is sexy. Yeah. (laughs) You you know, you can't have sex from the gallery looking down on five cameras. (laughs) Well, you can, but it would
0: be rather expensive. Well,
1: it was a bit difficult
0: for me, I must (laughs) admit. But you, And you worked for the organisation, oh,
1: B- yeah. for the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Many different departments. I worked in drama, I worked in documentaries, I worked in current affairs, I worked in children's. What else did I work on? S- uh, series, serials. Oh, I just had a a, a very good sort of, a, what's the word, um, movement around the corporation. Yeah. So I got to know it it very well. I got to know the drama side very well and the documentary side very well. And it's worth pointing that out because in fact the divisions are very sharp or were well that time in in in, in, in 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 the BBC or in television. You were either a documentary person, you were a film person out there. Or you were a drama person. Okay. And never the twin met. Right. You just kept apart. Not because you disliked each other. It was just that they were two different worlds. I shouldn't imagine they can afford to do that anymore. I don't know, know that probably they... probably got... have to share
0: this, the teams at the moment because they've got quite uh, hard cuts. It's not
1: so much the teams of the attitudes. They're all... Sort of, well, maybe, maybe you're right, yeah. Maybe you're right. But at that time, there was, there was certainly... I mean, even... In the, 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 we used to have a bar in the, in the television centre. Uh, you know the big, Everyone went into the bar at lunchtime. It was a huge affair and everybody was there. As you went in the door... There was, a, there was a table there in front with a, with a kind of concierge bloke there. <laughs> yeah. And you went left if you were going to documentaries and you went right if you were going to drama. Because <laughs> 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 all the drama people were over there and all the documentary people were over okay, there. Okay, so
0: they actually still s- remain segregated. Even oh, in the absolutely.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And I knew one or two people who actually... This is a rare... No, it's true. One or two, once or twice I remember going in with a, somebody, a producer once took, uh, asked me if I would uh, do a film for him as a director, and then he took me. He said, let's meet in the bar. So we got to the bar, and as we walked in the door, he said, I instinctively went left towards the documentary, and he said, uh, uh, no, no, I can't, let's go this way. Oh, no, the, the vice versa. You know, he went right and said, and he said, oh, I want to go this way. These are the drama people. <laughs> was a, oh, yeah, there was, a, there was a very distinct difference between... Well wow. Yeah, but, I mean, nothing unpleasant. It was just that there are two different um, mediums.
0: When Reith created the BBC's sort of idea of the BBC, the kind of ethos of the BBC, love it or loathe it, there was a kind of integrity to it, what the BBC was about, you know, betterment bettering people's lives serving the public you know that you can say oh this is very high culture and there's too you know that there there was not it was he was still of a certain class of people and so you were still excluding lots of parts of culture that get called low unfairly yet there was an integrity to what that what he was sort of saying Lord Rethu was sort of I'm, I would you like to describe who Lord Reith is? I'm going to look stupid if I if I say it. I'll probably get it wrong, but people won't know.
1: Well, he was given the the British Broadcasting Company started in 1922. Right, and that was the first time that they ever thought that uh, there could be people out there wanting to listen to it. If you yes. see what I mean. And anyway, by the 1926, it had it become the British Broadcasting Corporation because the government took it over yes. and gave it a license. And John Reith started at the beginning in 1922 and then took over as, as, as a director general, as they called him. And uh, he had a very, very strong sense of <sighs> duty, almost, I should mm. think, to, to the nation, which yes. was to entertain and to educate. And he meant that, I think, in the most... Uh, and the and the, and the kindest of ways... Yes, um, I think so. Yes, I mean, he, he, was, he wasn't a philanthropist, but he sort of... He, he he obviously had this vision that he could see sound perpetrating and being broadcast, literally, to millions of people who, until that time, didn't know anything Ex- about any of exa- these subjects he exactly, was going to give them. Exactly. He was going to introduce them to... Uh, they, were, they were to be introduced to everything and anything that we thought would be of interest to them. Yeah or of entertainment to them, or of stimulation and education yeah. to them. So an extraordinarily noble thought. It is. I think it is. And I, he pursued this right the way through the 30s into the 40s, and then he, he left shortly after that. And then, of course, television came along in the 50s, dragging their ideas with them. And, and today, if you, in fact, talk to people in the BBC, they will say, well, of course, we're still operating according to Ruthie Principles. No way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's probably another long story. Well, that, that's <coughs> a story we can go into. Well, fundamentally, what happened was, that in the 60s, BBC found its feet as a television company. I mean company in the literal sense of the word, not in a sort of... Uh, Business sense of the word, right? Yeah. Until that time, there were television cameras and they were broadcasting news and the Derby and probably the Queen's Wedding or whatever it was. But by the 60s, they had had to find a bigger variety of outlets mm-hmm. for the people who were coming in, who had their own bright ideas, and for the, the nation that wanted to hear and see more. Yes. That was fine, and the adaptation was made. They brought in lots of people from films like myself who could help to s- set it up. And during the 60s, all these programs that we now know today, all the formats, you know, the monitors, the Melvin Braggs, all these sort of, that was all sort of kind of worked out during the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they have been revamped or worked on or finessed. But fundamentally, it's the same. So you can look at the 60s as being when they laid down the... foundation. Foundations, foundations okay. right? And they were still laying them down with the echo of wreath in their ears, you see, that this was still preaching, we are here to entertain, we are here to educate, we are here to stimulate, and we are here to satisfy, we are here to please. All these noble notions that he had were still being bandied around as what the the purpose of the BBC was, but simultaneously something else was happening, ITV had come along. Now ITV were not about these principles. It was an advertising. It was a it was a business. Yeah, yeah, Com- as, as, as commercial you a company, absolutely a absolutely, commercial company. Now, until that time, and even when, during when I was there in the 60s, BBC people wouldn't even talk about ITV. It didn't exist. It was a dirty word. <laughs> you know, it's not us. Till the turn of the 60s, 70s, a problem came about license fees. The license fees were. Getting a bit dodgy Every time you needed the license fee to go up You had to go to the Prime Minister And knock at number 10 And say do you mind if we have another couple of bob on the license Or whatever it was you see And of course BBC people became slightly more hesitant About doing this And then I think the crunch came And this is the real crunch to me When they said okay well there's another way out of this We don't have to go to the 10 Downing Street We don't have to beg for more money We can prove we need it By going for the ratings, now it's terribly important for me to mention this to you. Ratings is an assessment of uh, independent television. You rate the program according to how many people view it, and therefore you can charge your advertisers more or less. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Now, if you have a free, if you have a free television service, i.e., a license payer. You don't need to ask how many people are watching it. You've got your money coming in. Yeah. You don't have to prove anything. No. Nope. The proof is what you do and yep. what you're doing. We are trending out day after day, week after week, in various forms, programs, according to the principles laid down by old John Reith. But then, in the 1960s, 90s, the turn of the 1960s, 60, 70 around that mark, they decided. Let's go for the ratings, which is a totally ITV concept. And we'll prove that we need more money.
0: Yeah, and make money as well. That's the other thing that they... That's another aspect. That's, that's, that's,
1: that's another thing. Yeah. And I think that was the beginning of the end. Because I, can maybe see to me today, you can quote me on this, you're quoting me, obviously. It's a commercial organisation.
0: But you can't eradicate a culture as cleanly as that. No so, I mean, and, and I see this, I mean the same thing is the case for, for example, within the library service where I work,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there is always this weighing up of the need to give the taxpayers as much knowledge as possible and to provide them with what they will pay for. You know, it's always a balance that the library service has to try and find between buying books that no one wants to read because they might be valuable in the future and buying lots and lots of books that will go out all, all, all the time and stuff like that that's the sort of situation that the BBC is in now, because there are people who still have the principles of public service there are still they, they're still trying to hit they 're not just trying to hit ratings they 're also trying to hit demographics, aren't they? they They have to appeal to this person they have to appeal to that they have to provide services for the for everybody and that 's a good principle, the demographics mm. principle I think mm-hmm. um, We should be trying to make our publicly funded media work for the whole public
1: mm-hmm. You shouldn't be paying them private salaries, then?
0: Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think that the most disgusting thing for definite about the BBC is the salaries that it pays to pretty much everybody over £40,000 a year. Absolutely. Everybody that gets more money than that shouldn't be paid that much. For example, you could say that that is the same within all councils, that everybody that gets paid very high salaries... Who works in a council probably shouldn't but that doesn't mean that we mm. should cut the basic services because the basic services are so important mm. so fundamental mm. and my thing with the bbc is i consider it to be a public service and it's better to have the bbc than not have the bbc mm. i'd want to reform the bbc massively mm. like in what they get paid what you're saying about ratings that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's probably an unwise thing for me to say this because I'm obviously somebody that wants to get my work on the BBC. But, I, you know, you can only be as... You know, I just it's not my style to be wise in that way. So people will just have to take it or leave it. I believe in the BBC. I want to write stuff for the BBC because I believe in that institution. Mm. However, that does... Because you, if you love something, it doesn't mean you can't... Criticise it, you know. In fact, if you really love it, you should tell it when it's behaving badly. And the BBC, mm. I think, is behaving badly now. Mm. But that's have you told it? Well, I hope maybe they'll hear this and change their minds, or maybe they'll they hear this they and blacklist me. No, they don't listen. Well, well, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that, I don't know the BBC? When I joined
1: the BBC many, many years ago, they used to have what well, they did have the Radio Times, right? And on the back page of the Radio Times, I always remember, was always adverts for garden sheds. God knows why, but that's it. That was the, one of the main sources of income, advertising income. Inside the back page were readers' letters. Right. And I used to read these religiously every week. These were letters written in, front, but not readers' letters, listeners' letters. Yeah. They were written by listeners, questioning things. And every time, each letter had a little bit, two or three lines underneath, which is the reply from the, the relevant producer or director, or whoever. I don't remember in any of the, these years—ten years, twelve years, fifteen years—I don't remember ever. And I, I'm sure I can prove this physically. Any reply saying that I was wrong, the okay. producer,
0: yeah, well, N- I mean not one, okay. But nobody can these no, days. Now, wait a minute. I mean, no that's
1: not these days. This is the 60s. Okay, well, maybe okay. No, Today, and Today, okay. you <laughs> will find on this uh, Roger, what's-his-name's program, he always comes on with... Um,
0: feedback? Um, feedback. Aha, yes. Exactly. With, uh, Roger, Roger Bolton.
1: Roger Bolton. Wow, look, no, at Roger, look at that. No, Roger, look at that.
0: No, Roger. Listen to that as a podcast, mind but you. But
1: Roger Bolton <laughs> has every week someone from some department to come in and answer somebody's question. Yeah and i've listened to it for years no one comes from the, from the department and says that he made a mistake sometimes they
0: say we met, some mistakes were made but blah 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 but and there's never a fault they never, false right. they'll they'll never be completely they can never right. be wrong
1: no no and that's that's a terrible weakness to me so that's why don't they just say look I th- yeah i think we probably blew it there but you know the point is that the great thing about the bbc is that it gives you the right to fail but why
0: don't they also say we weren't wrong. It's correct to make material that not everybody likes as well. well That's another that, thing that they need to say. To say. say I think wrong. that they need to say, yeah, they, they they need to say that when they're wrong, but they also need to say when they're right. Yeah. Because what happens with this kind of communication, and I guess why I say these days is because it's it's prevalent across mm. um, lots of different occupations, mm. is that that y- you can't say no to the consumer. Mm. Mm. That's the basic bottom line, and you're right because the BBC are a company. They can't they can't say no any, anymore, and they can't say we're wrong either because that's another thing companies can't be. Companies aren't allowed to be wrong, are they? I mean, that's the thing.
1: But they were they were allowed to be wrong in the sixties, but they, they still wouldn't admit it.
0: Do you think they were allowed to be wrong in the 60s? Of
1: course they were.
0: So now everybody. There's a lot more PR now, I guess, oh, God, so that yeah. covers everything. Oh up. yeah, yeah. But the BBC were doing PR even then, you were say. Yeah. I mean, so maybe they were at the forefront of the. I guess they're a media company, so they do have to worry about the way that the, the public relates.
1: Well, there them. was a there was an arrogance. I have to admit that there was an arrogance then when they thought, well, wait a minute, you know, well, well, you, the, the reasoning principles are all very well, but I mean, we know. We know best. Well, yeah. We know best.
0: But then, Reith, that was, I think that's part of the problem with Reith Could be. originally. Could like, be. I agree that it was noble, but he did think, I know best. He was, initially, the BBC was, I mean, I watched a documentary about this quite recently, and originally, the BBC was the arbiter of taste in that it would show what. You know, the music it would play would be the music of but the No, Elizabeth. that's not
1: entirely true because in the 30s they were always playing classical music, yes, in the third programme, but they did. There was an awful lot of what we would have called now, we would now call pop music. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they were f- listen, you know. F- programs like, I don't know what they're called, Forces Sweethearts, or something. I don't know. You would, you would so
0: they did have something even... Oh, there. yes,
1: okay. you would get, You would l- ring in and ask t- 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 for Bing Crosby to be played and so-and-so to be played, you know, all the stars of the 30s. Was, oh, well, that's good. Oh, yeah, there was a Forces, there was a lot of, during the war, a lot of these programs that were that's good broadcast too. to the... To, that's to, good, to, too, I guess yeah.
0: that is very good, but well, I guess where they're not going or where they weren't going then was into the pockets of society that are not mainstream as well. I mean, that's one of the things that that, that sometimes... I think the job of the BBC is surely to create dialogues between different parts of culture. And you can't do that if you're not showing everybody. Attitudes change. So initially there were no black people. Then there were the acceptable face of black people. And now, you know, we've got to a stage where we show... Black people, but still not as widely and variedly as they actually are in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see this with, with, with any any part of culture that was, was ignored initially by the BBC because it was made by people who, ke- who went to Oxford and Cambridge. You can only see things through your own filter. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have people, you need people making it mm-hmm. from the working class
1: mm-hmm.
0: who, who had backgrounds that were... Now we probably do. In the would you say i mean the, the BBC is it more in is it more representative of the public now
1: i don 't know because i 'm not there anymore no and there 's been vast changes in the last ten years i mean I should think considerable changes particularly in the finances and the you know they've they've uh, they've introduced so many independent companies now to make programmes for them because in my day, of course, nobody made programmes except the BBC themselves. Yes, no, it's, it's so oh yeah, it's been farmed out, and it's it's it's, it's really broadened the uh, the basis on which they are given programmes. The people who make programmes are, are not necessarily BBC people, no, but no, nevertheless, the commissioners are BBC. That's true. The, the gatekeepers, the, the gatekeepers are still, the still there. <laughs> yeah. Do you think
0: it's a good thing that it's farming out to outside companies?
1: I think perhaps the short answer to that would be yes, simply because um, it was once extremely... It, it, it had become extremely arrogant. And it was Thatcher. Happens f- for... that I should ever do an interview <laughs> like this and dare to mention her. It was she who insisted on the on the BBC taking more and more independence. So for that reason, yeah, God bless her. And it certainly moved out. But you see... You move out in various ways, you still move... Many of the independents, and this is probably one of the flaws, you see, many of the independents companies to whom the BBC found work at the beginning, that's the 80s and 90s, were actually BBC producers who took early retirement. It was a very crafty business. of taking early retirement and then setting up a company and feeding it feeding back to the to, to mummy and daddy. Okay. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of that nepotism went on. And it's probably still there.
0: Well, I don't know if it's still there or not, <laughs> certainly. I, I, I wouldn't... I, I've never come across it myself in my dealings with independent companies who I'm all for and uh, mm-hmm. hope to work with in future, definitely. Um,
1: anyway, that, that may not be true now, but, I mean, it certainly was true in the early days. Because of course, these are the people who had the experience to make them.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's, and there is something to mm. that as well. You can't really that's, and that is part of the problem with the idea of of making art de- democratic. Mm. Is that that means that people who have no, it means that there are no gatekeepers but it also means that people don't have to graft in a organization mm. learning a trade mm. and so that there is a certain discipline in that that that, that I think is has benefits in some for, for some for some creative people. It's, mm. it's beneficial,
1: and we're losing that kind of element.
0: Very frustrating. There's, just, there's so much that I haven't talked to you about that I wanted to talk to. Good. you Good.
1: Did I, mm-hmm. I divert you then?
0: Well, I was. Yeah, I guess good. so. I, I mean, not not really. The thing is, I, you never know how long a segment will last, or how long an answer will be. Yes, that, there's that too. But that's all good. I I, I wanted to talk to you about be it, your time in the navy.
1: Oh, on national service. I guess it oh, was a national yeah, service. Yeah, so all, yeah. I'm,
0: all I know is Navy. I mean, I, I talked to Dad and said, what do you think that, 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 that I should talk to Eric about? And he's like, well, I'm sure he'll talk about his time in the Navy. No, I won't. Well, you haven't. Yeah. So he's, no, he's I, haven't. Been I haven't. I
1: haven't been roles. asked to anyway. But now so. I am, yeah. But you see, it's fu- strange it's you say that, because in fact, it's, it's um, unlike... <sighs> I suppose, look, after I left university, which was a great, great time for me, I then did my national service. And then I went scratching around Soho to get a job in documentaries, you see. And somehow, the leap, the link was from the document from the university to documentaries. And you kind of phased out the... And the, the yeah, it was a kind of an service. incidental. And, I, and I, if I sit down now and think, oh, yeah, we did that, we did that. But there was nothing terribly important. It was a kind of um, holding operation, almost. Well... Well, I got down to the real nitty-gritty of what I was going to do because by that time I had, I knew that I was going to get into films or documentary films. You know, I had been brought up in the tradition of Gr- Grayson in the 30s and the thirties and the forties and 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 the fifties.
0: Grayson's a documentary filmmaker. Gr-
1: Grayson was the, the daddy of the doc- documentary yeah. films. Yeah, yeah. Very and, important um, in the movement. Yeah, and he had a number of disciples, like um, Harry Watt and Basil, whatever. Oh, uh, never mind, I don't have to list all these names. Basil Knight. I know all these names now yeah, because of dad,
0: all of the dad's BFI stuff. Uh, I've, you I've, I've heard a lot more about that yeah, side of his life. Yeah, and would.
1: Um, I haven't you know, actually
0: talked to him about that on the podcast, but not, not yet.
1: And one of them was a guy called Stuart Legg who actually got me into films in the end. That was the man who introduced me to Data. But that's... So that therefore, this—I tell you—I think what I'm trying to say is that if you ask me about university life, or about film life, or about BBC, or about writing, and about computers and things, they're all something in which I have been actively engaged. Uh, a national service was sort of our, Happened to you? Uh, transit camp, yeah, in my life. Well, I'm sure that's
0: how it is for yeah. for my, for many many people. Yeah. because it, what you weren't uh, you you didn't join the navy. You uh, no, you just had to go through this yeah.
1: sort of process before you came out into the, you know the, you had this this cocoon beautifully cocooned life of university. Well, what do you think about um, <clears throat> national service then, having been through it? Oh, I did, It didn't didn't give me any trouble. I mean, you know, I just just went through it. But yeah. Whether you look upon you, it, as but what a, do you think of the
0: actual? What do you think? The notion
1: of it? Yeah. They're talking about bringing it back just at the minute. Oh yeah, but they're talking. They've been talking about bringing it back for a long time, and the the reasons they talk about bringing it back is it's, it's a kind of punishment almost yeah. to, the, to the to the young people well, who, who, who wear the trousers in the right direction yeah. or whatever it is. You know, it's all this nonsense. Yeah. Um, but having said, and of course the idea that introducing, why should you send them to the army? I mean, if I was an army officer, I'd say, I don't want these buggers. You know, <laughs> you know why t- chuck them in the army? Why don't you chuck them in the BBC? Okay. You see what I'm driving yeah, that at? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good solution. Absolutely, yeah. Give, yeah. give them the BBC. Give them the media. I'll punish give them the buggers. Media, yeah, yes, yeah. I'll put them in ITV. <laughs> punish the bastards, you know. But, I mean, the idea you put them in the army... To no, train them, them up, some, train, train them up, train them up. Send, train them up to be
0: better at, at rioting if they want to use it in that way. The, like, you yeah. know, that, that's why it's... I mean, the, the army does train people to be better at being physic you know, being uh, being aggressive. Uh, exactly, so that, it, it trains people to be better at that. Yeah. So why would you use that as a, a way to civilise? I certainly wouldn't use it as no. a way to civilise. I'm not saying you would, but I, but <laughs> I do.
1: I do. I nevertheless will say one thing in its favour. Yeah. There are many things to say in its favour. It's the fact that when you do national service, people come from all parts of the country. And all areas of the country socially well, they all come together and they all have to do the same thing. Yes. They all have to be taught the same. They all have to share the same barrack room. Mm. They all have to clean their boots in the same way. They all have to get up and shave at a certain time in the morning. The all have to, if you in my in my case you had to have the, you know, six inches between each hammock which you strung <laughs> and you and not six and a half and not seven either and not yeah. four. You know, there was there was a discipline involved in it and after you've done that, resenting it deeply for about six weeks or or 18 months or whatever it is, yeah you actually <laughs> you know not to let your s- socks smell because it will disturb the next bloke Okay. you see what I mean? Yes. If you're all living together you start to understand oh Christ, if I do this, he will not benefit from it because I'm not benefiting from what... It for helps work. you socially develop. Ah, There's no question of that. Yeah. So that would be its positive element.
0: Yeah, ab- mm. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily against the idea of uh, national programmes to help people to uh, mix with different classes mm, and different mm, people. Mm. One of the things I thought was very interesting about when I talked to Dad about his war experience was just how his exposure to working-class people in the army completely changed yeah. the way that he viewed... Well, no, I don't think it changed the way he viewed because he was already a, a, a left-wing before he mm-hmm. went in the army, mm-hmm. but he, it it meant that he knew... That, you know, it wasn't a theory, it was an actual fact. You know, he'd sure. exper- he's experienced it and he'd, he'd been with other people and he had to find commonalities between him and other people. Yeah. And, and that, I can see that there's a value in that. I mean, in, in a way, that's a very mild, that that's a very extreme version of what I'm trying to do with this, with this very podcast, is, mm-hmm. is to, 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 cut, to, to, to find commonalities between me and mm. the people I'm talking to mm. where I can.
1: It has another good aspect to it, by the way, the National Service, and that yes. is that the 50 people or the 40 or the 20 people you're mingling with and have to live with and smell with, yeah. They're actually coming, not just from all parts of the society, they're coming from all parts of the country. Yes. Right?
0: Spot on. And today,
1: yeah. you know, it's either you're from Peckham, yeah. or you're from Liverpool, yeah. or you're from Newcastle, or you're from somewhere else, and th- there's no integration. There's all This rivalry, inter-city rivalry, it goes on all the time. You don't, you know, you, you don't understand that the bloke in Liverpool... Is in fact a half brother of yourself. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, in yeah. Beckham, you do in in the navy, on the army, in the in the, in the forces. You just you, it's people from all, all walks of life, but all areas of yeah, yeah. of the of the country, and you think, oh, we're all roughly the same anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But you, there's, there's been more and more that I'm, just as many. We talk about divisions in society today between the upper, the lower, and the middle class, and all these sort of funny expressions we use, all of which are no doubt valid. But we also have this unhappy division of the nation into people in Bristol, people in Cardiff, people in Newcastle, yeah, yeah. people in, you know, and uh, in Yorkshire, and pe- and, and people in, in Liverpool. You know, we kind of we're all different. That's. National service brought that, yeah. b- brought that together much better than just the cl- the this difference in classes.
0: No, no, I mean absolutely. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a great point, and and I'm, I'm sure the same was the case in the war. I mean, in the army, that that oh, yes. being with different people. In yeah, uh, I mean, I, 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 and you, you're absolutely right. I yeah. mean, I feel quite lucky in that I've lived in so many parts of the country yeah. that I don't have that that kind of feeling about things
1: yeah but you're unusual yeah
0: exactly no mm. I'm, I'm aware of that mm. so I'm, I am know I'm lucky to have had it and mm. I guess everybody of your generation who was a man that would have been in, 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 uh, in national service yeah they'll have all had a touch of that you know mm. people in London have it quite a lot as well because a lot of the time every a workforce in London will have been so and so's come down from Blackpool, and so and so's come from uh, Cornwall, and someone's uh, you know someone's come from Jamaica. You know? Yeah, it will be a, a workforce that, that will. I mean, that's that's what that's what people talk about when they talk about metropolitan versus yeah. parochial yeah. Yeah. thinking. I mean, there is a there is a truth in that in London people work with people from other parts of the country and so they don't have that kind mm. of division mm. not that I'm all like Lon- you know, London's great, I know, I know why people resent London, they, they resent it because there's a lot of money here and there isn't a lot of money up north where, where, where I've worked and, and lived. Sure, sir. The l- last thing that I ask people Eric uh, I don't know what you're going to say to this, but I doubt you'll say anything we'll see is, do you have anything that you want to plug as in promote
1: do I have anything I want to plug as in promote
0: yeah normally I don't say the as in
1: no promote. no no I understand I think I try I understand it's a, It's an enormous question <laughs> it really is because um, you a know peop-
0: a few people have said that
1: uh, well I have to join the band of the few pe- uh, people who have said that um f- f- I, i'm trying to think of what i would want to plug if i wanted to plug something would i want to plug a political point would i want to plug a financial point would i oh, i don't know it's so vast a question i have no i'm not actually um i'm not actually c- uh, if i'm well balanced it's because i've got a chip on both shoulders so i'm not really c- i'm not really c- <laughs> i have I've not, I've, I've not really sort of c- i'm not really c- uh, look i haven't uh, I know what I'm trying to say. That I, at the moment, I'm not on any particular crusade. Right. I may have opinions about <laughs> crusaders, <laughs> but I'm not carrying the banner. Or if that. you would like to be more specific and ask me something well, then, about what I think about architects, well, let's. Uh, well, well, I think well,
0: that's a fair. That's a fair point. I mean, the the the, the reason I asked the question is is double, really. It, initially, it was there was only one reason. It was. I want people to get the most out of having appeared on the show and if someone's a lot of my friends are in bands or whatever or they've got a website yeah. or whatever to promote, then yeah. I want to, them to yeah. be able to, to do that. That's yeah. a g- good thing. As they've got an audience, they should yeah. they should be able to say that. That's a big part of who they are quite often.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can tell stories. Because, I mean, if, you, if, you, if, if you've lived a few years, you've been to a few places, and each one has a band of stories around it. Yes. And if you could start, I could say, oh, I, I remember when I was in India. Or I remember in South America. Or I remember when I climbed in the Himalayas. I yeah, this is all
0: the stuff I w- wanted. To, this yeah, is the stuff I had to, to to jettison for time, really. I'm I wanted excited. to talk to you about living in Northern Ireland and all sorts of things. Yeah. But, 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 <coughs> um, so the, and the other, the other thing that it's become about is that a few people took it the way that the, the you're saying, really, is a, an opportunity to say something... You know, like one of my friends said, if you believe in something, act on it. Don't just have the belief. I don't know if this is good advice or not, but this is what she said. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, other people have, have, have said things like that. But I mean, if there's nothing that you have that you want to plug, you don't have to plug it. You can say no. A question.
1: Oh, I could plug a dozen things if I was given the lead. I thought, oh, we're talking about this, we're talking about that now. Yeah, well, I mean, what I feel is so and so and so. Well, but, okay, I mean, well, well no, considering no, no, what no, we've no, talked no.
0: about today, there's nothing <laughs> that you want to. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you've very <coughs> clearly kind of promoted some, some opinions and points of view today. So I guess you've already done it a little bit. Everybody normally already has.
1: I don't know, I've just answered some of your questions. Yeah,
0: but the thing is, answering a question is, reveals, it reveals. Asking a question reveals as well. A- a- anything that is said reveals of the person who says it. So, anyway, you don't have anything particularly to plug at the moment. No. You don't have any writing or anything about that people can get hold of? Or films that, you want that are available for people to get hold of?
1: Oh, if I went to the BBC, I could I could get copies of all my films. Yeah, it would cost me about 150 quid at a time. But yeah, you know.
0: I had a similar emotion when I went to an awards ceremony and I was really glad. And then I found out how much you have to pay to go to the actual ceremony. <laughs> I know what you mean.
1: Ah, yeah. uh, yes, I think it's also a question of, well, OK, uh, look, I, I, did the, I did all these films. I'm not sort of standing up saying, I did all these films. You, know, you must come and see my retrospective yeah. at the Curzon Theatre. I mean, you know, one isn't in that class. Uh, one did a job and um, I was very happy in doing the job very privileged in yeah. doing the job in many ways
0: but it's not available for you to to get, to get other people to go to that's the thing that, that well I happens.
1: don't not only that I don't think it's necessary for other people to, to, to sort of sit down and see 10 or 15 of my or 25 of my films no, no, so no. what fair enough you know, I can see your point I mean they have other things to do there's, there's more to read and there's other you wrote a
0: book didn't you that was published is that available?
1: <coughs> I wrote a couple of books that were ah. stories, but we're, we're, not, we're not going to get into that. Well, I say we're not going to get into that because they didn't get anywhere. And there's, no, there's no point. It was. I was. I was glad. In fact, I'd written a number of short stories about the Second World War, and humorous, or se- not was semi-humorous, and they were broadcast to BBC. And, uh, and then this publisher came along, and said, "Here, look, can I publish these?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." He said, "Well, we need a few more," so I wrote a few more. But it was an extraordinarily hectic time, and they produced them. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote at one summer to fill the quotation that was needed. And they, because of the publishing problems they had, they had to, they published it without my without my editing it. Yeah. In other words, I just sort of wrote it. About one hundred twenty-five, one hundred forty thousand. Words and they should have been. I sent it in thinking they were going to say, Well, that's it, that's fine. Now we're going to cut it down. Now we'll cut it down to so and so. And it didn't happen. Oh, God, an editor's so important. Ah, I mean. And, and it, that was a very, and apart from the fact that they put a stupid cover on the front, which is just,
0: it was yuck. But never mind. It that's turned, what I'm always worried about. Yeah. I mean, that's what I really do worry about. Sometimes I think, Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I want these things to get published, <laughs> but then what if they. If they get published so you know so badly that it makes me cringe and uh, well that's a shame. That was, I mean. a, that
1: was a dreadful shame because there were some good things in them in both these books. of are published in as well. And there was there was some yeah I will say it myself yeah there were some good things in them but they, certainly in the first book it, it didn't come through because it was so cluttered and. Uh, so what? There's no crusade?
0: No. I mean, this is this has been probably the, the most involved plug section of the show that, that I've had, which I think is a good thing. It's good to have uh, the concept of plugging challenged uh, 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 a little bit. Have um, I been
1: plugging? No.
0: Well, what, what you've been doing is not plugging. <laughs> <And> the, <laughs> the last thing that I say to people to end the show is, do you want to say goodbye to the audience?
1: Well, if I would say goodbye to the audience, if in fact I would even said hello to them, well, yeah, well, but I haven't even, i haven't actually met them. You've yet. never met them, so you, okay. no. You cannot say goodbye to them if you want to. But I mean, if you are uh, <laughs> s- so stuck for something useful to do that you will listen to this, well, good luck to you and goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>
0: so do stay listening this isn't quite the end of the episode there's a bit extra which was taken from episode 34 of getting better acquainted which was the next episode in the series after the one that you just heard so these are some highlights from a conversation that i had with eric and with my dad later that night we're all a bit drunk so there's a little bit of a different kind of energy to it. In that episode, if I was to play the full episode, I like myself a lot less, but in these clips, I'm still uh, a version of me that I can just about get behind. Today, we are getting better acquainted with Eric and my dad. Hello. Hello. Yeah, one of you managed it. Hello. Oh, yeah. Hello. Is there anyone there? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) The first question I ask people, I can't ask you guys, really, because you both answered it on different different shows. So I thought I would ask you... We might answer differently this time. You might, and I do use that as a technique sometimes, but not this time. I thought I would ask you how you two met Uh each other, which actually, you know, you did actually talk about how you met Dad in yours anyway, so you are... Did you he are, he you
2: remembers. T- you remember right? I, I do remember, remember, and I'm certainly not going to I repeat that stuff. I mean, I remember very many no, no, days <laughs> with you, but I don't remember our actual meeting. When did oh. you meet? Well, it was in data, wasn't it? Oh yes. Yeah. So you came to data. Yeah. Do you remember first impression? Do you actually remember the first time you met each other?
1: I remember the first time I met, but I've already talked about
0: that. Yes, so, but you actually remember the actual moment. Oh
1: yes, indeed, I do. Yes. You, what was your first in.
0: impression of him?
2: Do you remember
1: that? Well, the first impression of him was, it was physical, really. It was just, it was a nice bloke at the end of the bar. And I, I, you know. He was was in the pub, wasn't he? I offered him a a drink, and he accepted, and he's accepted ever since. I don't know, he was just somebody who, I remember very well, you turned towards me, because I was introduced, and I I came into this pub, I know exactly what the pub was, it was on Tottenham Court Road. Road. what's it? it's called the Coventry or something but I, I don't know I I really who was in that with me when you... I think it might have been Rolf uh-huh. but uh-huh. somebody brought me in it might have been Tiger it might have been Rolf and, <laughs> and uh, introduced me to you you were already with someone I can't remember which one but you were back against the bar you were at the end of the bar in this, in this, in this stool <laughs> and you and somebody, whoever it was said uh, <clears throat> and this is Peter Peter Pickering and that was it that was the introduction. It was a bright sunny day. I do remember, and you don't I, remember it, Dad. I don't remember. it no, at all. <laughs> but I don't. I don't remember those
2: kind of details any longer. But I mean, I do remember the sort of working with you and that afterwards, and that we were. I mean, we obviously. Well, we were, it was partly that we were in some sort of agreement in relation to opposition to other to other things that were going on, or other people, in data or. I mean, we shared a sort of frustration with some of the camera.
1: Oh, I think we probably did, but I think in, apart from that, we, to be, that's a bit negative. Yeah, it does well, seem a even. We did have sort of positive. Well, it would be with you, of course. <laughs> well, yeah. I think there was a certain rapport. I mean, that might have been. It was a... We might have talked about well, have scripts or yeah, and books, and... books or something. Yes, we like did.
2: That. Yeah.
0: yeah, And it's carried on. How long have you guys been friends then? Well, I'm Friends?
1: Alright, when oh, uh, whenever you've been <laughs> yeah. acquaintances, that's a good point. Uh, it must have been about 1955, 56.
2: Yes, it, well, when, we, when you came to that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was but a bit
0: earlier, I think. So um, over 50, 50 years. Over 50 years, nearly 60. 60. Yeah. yeah.
2: Good. But I mean, the period. 60 that we were years. Together, the hell. period that we were working together at Data was quite short. Was oh, that was about brief. Five years. Yeah.
1: Or oh, less than that. Less probably. than that, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So yeah. you were only colleagues for five years? Well, no,
1: yes, we were yes. colleagues for two or three years. Yes. See? But then yeah. again, when we... When by then we were friends. so, yeah.
0: we so you
2: kept in, kept in touch. And
1: I left and went off to Denmark, remember? Yep. And That's we right. kept in touch regularly. Yeah, you went, to went over to other.
2: Denmark to do the course, and got married, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and came back. Yeah. And you're talking about so, writing... To each other, and that made me. Yeah, we did. We wrote letters. I have still got them. Have you got mine? Oh, I think no, so. No,
1: no. I said, said to your friend this afternoon. His name escapes me. That in fact <laughs> we, we did, in fact. This is a running. That's a, a running quite joke. Quite a long
2: correspondence. Yeah, yeah. Went on quite. A Most long time of it was kind of it. very. People wouldn't understand because it was very subjective. Because it was in, a lot of it was about data, and the, the figures yeah. that we'd made of people at data. You're know, like making Whitam noddy and. Yes, yes,
1: we had... uh...
0: You had lots of running... Well, you have lots of running jokes. You've got lots of uh, kind of shared jokes together. When you were talking about letters earlier on, Eric, it reminded me about something. Mm -hmm. By earlier on, I mean in the last episode. I guess it made me think of my first time I remember not meeting you, because I don't remember meeting you. I remember knowing you. All I remember of you as a child is just you and your poached eggs and tomatoes on toast.
1: You don't remember me as a child? No,
0: I don't remember you as a child. When I was a child, (laughs) I remember having poached eggs on toast that you made at your house, I imagine, um, and this being a very nice breakfast. But I didn't remember much about you as a person. You know, you were an adult. And you don't think about adults. When I remember really noticing you as a person was when you you noticed me first I did I did sorry was when what? you gave me this letter actually interestingly enough you it's typed but you've written dear david and you've written, you've signed it as well would you have typed this on a typewriter or a, or a computer oh then? no a typewriter a typewriter what what's the date the date is <laughs> the 11th of the 5th 97
1: it could have been a type. Of, uh, could have been. By could man. have been. By and man. there you
0: go. I mean, electronic type. Ninety-seven. Yeah, ninety-seven. Because I would have been what sixteen. Um, yeah, yeah, I you thought were fifteen, probably yeah, fifteen. You were in Cardiff. And well, it says, "Dear David, I'm sorry I didn't see you before I left on Thursday, and that I have to write on a machine to make sure you can read it. I read your anthology with wonder and admiration." You are reaching out and down and touching things, brackets, wonder, and finding words to express them, brackets, admiration. One part of me says, stop, leave it to mature for a few years, get on with other things. The other says, press on, squeeze, whatever you decide, it will be right. Remember only to believe in yourself. You have a lot to believe in. Believe me and an i've kept that ever wow. since yes, uh, and it's, it is every time i've been questioning myself as a writer i've looked at this this letter what was
2: it that he'd read that you'd written
0: an anthology of poetry it says so that's say, what it was
2: possibly, i don't remember that i mean I, I was always
0: foisting them on everyone i would, yeah. would go round giving I, everybody I don't those think you will have done, of course. You saw all my poetry, you saw all my anthologies of poetry and gave me notes Oh, I did, on yeah,
2: that's right, I guess I did. But
0: I was giving them to everybody and he, I guess Eric must have read it and saw something oh, in it, boy, which okay. is impressive because I look at those poems now and I, I don't see very much at all in them.
1: It's oh, that's flannel, isn't it?
2: Can't you just alter it a bit and put podcast or something in it? <laughs> you read it I'm quite amazed at that. Yes, do you remember writing? He didn't write a letter like that to me. I uh, not, do you remember writing? Can, can it? I just yeah, I you could could have a look at it? He doesn't write letters like that to me. I, he, no, no you must have done it. You had a mind.
0: big, big long correspondence.
2: What? You and him had a big long. Yes, but not about my. He didn't write praise about
0: your writing. No. Yeah, but he he, he he will have written to you as a friend. Sure, friend? I'd, uh, well, I suppose so. yeah. You are friends. Yeah. You've got this joke. It's funny, but it, it's misleading. Yes. Because people can't see your faces. What, um, what, do you have any running jokes between the two of you? Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's about all we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you why. I mean, <coughs> you no, know we do actually. Yeah.
1: We had a, an experience at Data, which is where we met. Yes. And there were certain characters in there mm-hmm. who had two aspects to them. One was that they were characters themselves, and the other was that they mm-hmm. were. Recreated by the boss, the man called, who ran the show called Francis, who gave them all nicknames <laughs> <laughs> so we we and we went along with this and it was and we somehow carried these characters into other aspects of our lives <laughs> so that, there was always a noddy or a tiger or whoever it I'm was sorry, or a yes. wolf for a so. And so. All these characters represented yeah. the sort of five or six basic human beings you get in yeah. <laughs> the then world. We did have, And, and then had, we were
2: always the Yes, a, and we had, a, we had a PRO from the northeast or something.
1: Oh, yes. What's a PRO? Public uh, Relations Office. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah.
2: But, but we both knew him. For, so I can't even remember what the joke was now, terribly. But no, we but we had, I mean, he was the sort of referable figure. So
0: you had these kind of archetypes that yes, you've applied exactly to. Them. They were
1: particular people. Yes. But they became kind representative, of... Representative, yeah. They were representative of the, the, of themselves and the, the jobs yeah. that they did. Yes, exactly. Yes. Can't and this other that. guy who used yes. to run the show, he saw them in terms of funny names. Yes. He gave everybody in it. And we all... And we sort of took... Right. Took it to... To, we kind of put them both together and everywhere we went after that if we ever went together anywhere we would always see representations of these people Another, he's a real noddy oh he's a real tiger he's a real son <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's right and that's gone on yes. and to, even today I see. was going to
2: say we still refer to them
1: yeah so he's, he's carried over into it so when I phone him up I'm printer. always saying to him <laughs> uh, Mr Pickering uh, oh yes, Cactus are still here. We can do that for you, Mr. Davis. is one gone our oldest clients <laughs> That's right. That's how we always refer. Y- y- you do always talk
0: to each other in very kind of um, sometimes. It, sometimes when you when you when you talk to each other or when I see emails going between the two of you, it, it's a kind of it's a sec- It's a, not a secret language, but it's a shared language that you've sort of built up over. I guess as we've determined, about sixty years. I guess those fictional characters. Have, Existed a lot longer, long have been in existence for three, six, two, tw- twice the uh, amount of time that I've lived.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, those fictional characters
1: have lived longer Indeed. than me so far. Indeed. But you see, they're not fictional, no, yeah. <laughs> they were original <laughs> no, characters. But, but, and in fact, really, if you analyse psychology of human behaviour, there are only six characters in the world. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. And they f- yes. we can get them to fit Nobody any so situation. Fit no. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about politics and think, Mr Cameron, suddenly we'll give him the, yeah. one of the names. Ah, Mr Herberlund, Mr See, Herberlund yeah. Cameron. <laughs>
0: you guys are both, if you don't mind me saying so, old, old. old yes. people.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, at least dad is. What, what would you say to this generation?
1: To who? To your generation? Yeah. We're sorry. <laughs> <coughs> oh, well, I, I, Good I, luck.
0: You think it's your fault that it's not no, got better? No. We're sorry but, but for the
2: future you've We're
0: got. sorry for you, yeah. Good okay. luck. That's nice.
1: Yeah, I would echo that. But I'd also say, look, do you mind opening the door and letting me in and telling me what you feel?
0: What do you mean? That's it so the you'd like to say that to the children yeah children, you know?
1: just just talk to me i mean we we may look oldish, we may look you know yeah uh, uh, hideously uh, what's was the word not repulsive but away from you, different yeah. from you, but we still have these these things going up here, and uh we're not actually worn out no', no, as no people' as minds no no absolutely and uh <laughs> I would like very much to engage with you. Not to teach you, but to answer any questions you like that you think I could answer.
0: No, I think this is important. I think. But at the
1: same time, I'd like very much to understand how you think. Not how you think about me, but how you think about what is and what's happening.
0: I'm going to throw a few more plugs for things that I do at you. So if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people then you might be interested in my solo show what about the men mansplaining masculinity which you can listen to for free as a podcast and you can also read the survey of a thousand men's opinions about patriarchy and masculinity that i put together you can find all of that stuff over on mansplaining or you can look for stand-up tragedy on itunes and listen to the most recent podcast which is a full version of that show. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship and again a little bit about masculinity then check out my essay series Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad. Do please check out The Family Tree. Season 2 is going to some really interesting places and we've worked out a plot for Season 3 which again is going to take it to some amazing places. So please do check out the show at thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk but also consider becoming a patron and contributing to our Patreon campaign and helping us to make the show because it does cost money to make the show it certainly costs a lot of time to make the show and we could really do with your support and even if you don't listen to The Family Tree consider becoming a patron to The Family Tree because if you listen to Getting Better Acquainted and you like what I do with this show then A way that you can give something back to me for all of the free content that I've given to you over the years is to support The Family Tree and help that show to grow. And finally, Getting Better Acquainted can be found anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. It's on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. The show's Facebook page is just Getting Better Acquainted, and if you want to email me about the show, you can do that at gbapodcast at gmail.co.uk. If you want to talk to me directly about things that I talk about on the show or about any of my other projects, you can find me on Twitter at GooseFat101. And next week will be the Christmas episode of Getting Very Acquainted. And after that, I'm going to be taking a week at least but maybe a couple of weeks off so it's my annual break from putting out getting better acquainted coming up but before that it's the annual christmas episode and i've got an idea for what it's going to be this year i'm quite excited but i'm also kind of like ah how am i going to have time to make the episode that i have in mind but hopefully i will and it'll come out next week and now it's time to say goodbye so goodbye everybody And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.